you're looking at what the museum itself offers, you know, what you see is translatable in any language. You're either going to be wowed or you're not, and you don't need to be able to speak Chinese, Spanish, or, or English to be able to have the, the exact same effect. It's, it's sort of a universal expression to people of not just all, all ages, as I was mentioning before, but really all cultures. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Josh, how are you? Hey, Matt, I'm doing very well. Thanks for asking. You bet. You bet. <laughs> and how are you? <laughs> I am fantastic. Woo. Yeah, that bottled in there. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I was just waiting. I was waiting. But hey, I have a question for you. Okay. Do you like magic? I do like magic. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever have you ever dabbled in sleight of hand or card tricks or anything else like that? I think I've done the most basic of the basic card tricks. I, so recently, I was on an airplane from Philadelphia to uh, Chicago. I was not doing magic on the plane, but the gentleman <laughs> sitting next to me used to do a vaudeville and magic act at Knobles. Really? Like years ago. And he now does, uh, he does that act in a burlesque show in Atlantic City. Very cool. Yeah, so he sent me a link to his act on YouTube and and uh, just just his part of the act. He comes out, he does his act, he goes and then and then the like there's a comedian and then then there's the burlesque show, I guess. Okay. Uh, I don't know if that's if that's like an upgrade or a promotion or just naturally like the progression of of his career, but uh that's what's just top of mind right now cuz it looks pretty good, it's pretty impressive. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So 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 he's he's basing his his uh his livelihood on Creating illusions for other people. Well said. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I did dabble um, when I was younger uh, with some magic. Okay. I, I had one that, you know, I know you're not supposed to give away the secret, but um, there was a um, a trick where you had a small box and then inside of that was a smaller box. And then inside of that was a, a little bag. Okay. And then, so the trick was, you got somebody, you got a penny from someone and you mark on it so that they know it's theirs. And then you put it in a pocket and you pull out this box and you unwrap and open the box and everything. And their coin is inside the, uh, the box. And of course, while it's in your pocket, I will give away this little secret. There's a little slide. So you, you, you build the trick by putting all those boxes in the bag together. And then inside there's a, there's a little metal slide that you, if you, when it's in your pocket, you could slide the coin in. And when you pull the slide out of the boxes, like there's a, there's a rubber band around the, the little bag. 
so it'll it'll squeeze shut so when you open it up it looks like the bag is completely shut and the thing is there and you leave the slide in your pocket so it's, there's a little sleight of hand there's a little bit of illusion there um so i did dabble in that and it's something that came to mind today during our interview with jonathan benjamin also known as JB, um, who's the chief executive officer of the Museum of Illusions. Uh, they have over 40 locations in 25 countries, I believe. And they're all about tricking the eye. Ooh. Ah. The illusion. And the illusion. Yeah. Uh, this was such a fascinating conversation because uh, Jonathan or JB's experience, his background uh, is very much in, in other areas of hospitality. So he came from hotels and restaurants, uh, very proficient in franchising, which is what uh, what he's currently doing with with Museum of Illusions, uh, worked in trampoline parks for a little bit. And then um, uh, since joining Museum of Illusions, they've grown to, like you said, more than uh, more than 40 locations in 25 countries all over the world and continuing to expand. He tells us uh, uh, he at, at the end of this interview, he just gives us a smattering of a whole bunch of other cities and regions that that Museum of Illusions is uh, is coming to. It's kind of like a like a, the opposite of now you see it now you don't. You know, like they're just they're just springing up everywhere, right? Yeah. Like you don't say, you know, that was terrible. But <laughs> the conversation we got to have with him uh, was was wonderful. We got to to learn about what the experience is like. We got to hear about certain uh, illusions and and exhibits within the museum. And notice the word museum is very much part of it because on, on the surface, this seems like it is, it's an immersive walkthrough attraction, maybe even like an art installation, uh, almost like some of the other similar ones that we've, that we've talked about on the show. But he said they're, you know, they're partnering with, uh, with STEM and STEAM organizations and that they do field trips with schools. And instead of going to, I would say the traditional science center that the kids are coming here and instead of having to leave their phones away, they're encouraged to have them out, be taking pictures, be posting on social media. It's a very, it's a very Instagrammable type of experience to be able to show people things that really look like they defy reality, particularly as they're they're captured and they're memorialized in, you know, in our phones and on our and on our social media. And one of the things I really appreciated about how he described the experience was that yes, you bring your phone, you can take pictures, you know, and interact with the with the exhibits, and they are interactive they are um, immersive as he describes them um, but many of them are based on illusions that have been around for hundreds of years right mm. things that maybe your grandparents or their grandparents or your ancestors may have been thinking about or you know it was an illusion to them and what i thought was really interesting about that is that you know there's that you know the what's old is new again you know, and there's yeah. a new way to package these illusions. There's a new way to create an experience around these things that are oddities or things that, you know, kind of make you say, wow. Or when you leave the experience, you might say, what did I just experience? You know, which makes you want to maybe go back and do it again. So I really appreciated, you know, a where a lot of these things come from um, and the fact that it is, you know, something that every every age group can enjoy and that, you know, you can, you know, get some education from it, but it's also just some fun. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, the, based on the way you describe it, it, it gives us 
whole new level of appreciation for, I would say, for the craft of illusions, right? I, you know, I don't know about you, but whenever I ride Haunted Mansion, either at Magic Kingdom or at Disneyland, I, I'm always just so amazed by the, the Pepper's ghost effects. And whenever you go through that scene in the dining room, I'm looking down to see if I can see that. Well, I'm not going to give away that if, you know, if you're not totally <laughs> familiar with it, but there's ghosts in there, right? And then, and there the ghosts appear and they disappear and, and things like that. Uh, that's what, that's what it reminded me of when JB talks about those types of illusions that have been around for hundreds of years. But like you said, what's old is new again. And we can, uh, you know, we can really appreciate it at, at all ages and, and across all languages and all cultures as well as they continue to expand all over the world. So should we um, dispense with the illusion and allow JB to uh, share all of his thoughts and uh, the experience of Museum of Illusions? Let's do it. Hey, JB, welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast. We are very excited to chat with you today. How are you? Great. How about you, Josh? Doing very well. Doing very well. Uh, so jumping into this here, I, can you share a little bit of your background? Tell us about your career and uh, your history in the industry. Sure. Well, I think uh, I, I, I can probably start the legitimate part of it. Um with uh, with the hotels and and restaurants, I've, I've been with some global chains, both in the hotel and restaurant industry for for many many years, and then uh, did some retail and uh, family entertainment uh, with trampoline parks and and some other uh, some other type of industries, and and was able to then leap into the Museum of Illusions uh, area, which is also uh, family entertainment and and uh, uh, attraction based. It's a little unique in the sense that there's really nothing else out there uh, like us, and at the same time, we're relatively new. So, from that standpoint, we, we we started the industry in 2015, and we've grown into 25 countries now, with uh, 45 open locations and many many more that are under construction or spoken for uh around the world that's so cool jb can you tell us a little bit about the maybe the transition from your your initial part of the career now into attractions and fully immersed into the museum of illusions sure i i think you know overall if you're looking for uh a type of background on on how to lead this type of venture you know you you really have to have hospitality you have to have a knowledge of who your customer is, uh, how to speak with them, how to market to them, uh, et cetera. And I, I don't think there's uh, more of a training ground that is is more relevant than uh, restaurants and, and, and hotels. I mean, these are where you know new people are coming in all the time with all sorts of different likes and dislikes and, and personalities, et cetera. And you've really got to be able to adapt and accommodate uh, to whatever their needs and, and desires are and you've got to be able to speak their language um, and there's a lot of different languages to, to speak so if you're looking to host uh, attractions it's it's uh, very transferable with a lot of those a lot of those uh, skills and having that knowledge base you know you have to be able to again adapt to whatever their needs are uh, have you know quite a bit of uh, hospitality, social skills, uh, etc. And you know some of it can be trained, and and some of it is just natural. So as we're looking at 
deploying new locations and and employing the right people, those are a lot of the attributes that that, that we look for. Mm. I like that you really touched on the the hospitality piece because that definitely is I'd say the the common denominator between all of these industries or areas of the industry that that you've been in, whether it's a restaurant, hotel, trampoline park, or museum of illusion. Uh, coming from the restaurant hotel space, curious though if there were any maybe any surprises or any any lear- learning curves that perhaps you hadn't anticipated of going from hotels and restaurants and then into trampoline parks which is now i would say more like recreation-based entertainment and then very similarly into museum of illusions uh, su- surprises no I, I mean i think it was a real natural progression to be quite frank i mean it's in in many instances it's the same people that are uh, visiting our museums who are then planning on going to uh, a restaurant afterwards or maybe having stopped at a restaurant beforehand. It's, it's family entertainment, but it's, it's uh, also appeals to all ages. So whether it's children or grandparents or everyone in between, everyone likes to eat, everyone likes to stay in hotels, everyone likes to have uh, experiences. Uh, and, and we offer something that's rather unique, I think, compared to what someone else might assume to be uh, a, a museum visit. So uh, it's more immersive. Um, and, you know, there's the, there's the trend these days for immersive experiences that we are riding the wave of. JB, I'm curious if we can go back just for a second, because you said something I thought was really interesting um, that I'd like to dive into a little deeper. You talked about in, in hospitality, some of it can be trained, some of it is more natural. So as you're looking for staff, are you looking for people that have sort of that natural twinkle in their eye, if you will, that you can train them on the skills uh, versus maybe the other way around? Matt, that's that's uh, that's the million dollar question because I, I think, as you know, uh, your employees are really the heartbeat of any organization. I'm not, I don't even care what type of business it is, and they have to be engaging, but at the same time, they've got to be able to read the room, read the guests, so to speak. There's no one size fits all approach. And some of those things are just you're 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 born with. You know, maybe you might hone it a, a little bit or 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 adapt some some styles. Um, but there are there are just certain things that you cannot train. And you know, if you're uh, glued to your phone or you're more introverted and not wanting to interact with 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 people or, or, or guests probably not the right candidate to work in our museum or frankly even restaurants or, or hotels you know there there's there's a uh, many many studies that you, you can you're probably already aware of that point to you know how engaging the employees are and how it translates into top line revenue and and frankly, guest satisfaction. Can you expand on that and, and the engagement <laughs> of the employees leading into top line revenue for those who perhaps hadn't seen those studies? <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I think the more let's just let's just say the more uh, satisfying the experience is, the, the more likely those uh, customers are going to uh, post positive uh, reviews. Uh, comments, tell their friends, tell their family, and and return. So in in every instance, if if they return, that's additional revenue. If they tell their friends and family, that's additional revenue. If they're posting comments that are positive, 
um, than anyone who's out looking for things to do. If they see good reviews, they're more likely to uh, to attend. And, and conversely, uh, for those uh, types of businesses that, that don't have that word of mouth, don't have the repeat customers, don't have the positive reviews, uh, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious, I think, to, to most people that uh, people are going to choose to go somewhere else because of that. Yeah. So JB, do you have specific strategies that you employ uh, within your organization to help find the right people, train the right people, make sure they're on the right path, um, you know, that kind of thing? We do. I mean, those, those are things that I would typically leave to our operations uh, folks. So they've, they've got a, a model of the people that they're looking for to lead in every single museum. Uh, it's, it's, you know, leading by example, I think. It's also being very selective in the interview process. Um, and uh, it's, it's, applying, it's applying proper training techniques at, at the outset and then a constant monitoring of the, the environment and, and providing, in, in many instances, instant feedback to the employees as, as they're walking the floor and, and interacting with guests. So I would love to pull back a bit if we can. You know, you talked about Museum of Illusions, um, you know, just being, you said, relatively new. Kind of the first one opened in, in 2015 and now with 45 locations all over the world. Uh, can you tell us what's what's the experience like? It sounds like it's a very unique type of attraction. Can you walk us through uh, kind of what, you know, what people experience when they're at the museum? Well, I, I can. I think it's, uh, it's even better to be able to walk you through as you're experiencing it yourself but I'll, I'll, I'll try my best. It, basically, you're, you're walking into uh, a facility where there are um, exhibits, uh, pictures, uh, hands-on uh, exhibits that you can, you can manipulate and, and uh, interact with, um, where it, it, it's hard for your brain to really comprehend what's really going on. It's it's not anything that is high tech, uh, for example. So it's it's not um, it's you're not having high definition video being broadcast on walls and floors, but it's it's objects that you're looking at that don't make sense. But at the same time, you're looking at it and, and experiencing it. So I think what people have done is as as they've grown up, they've learned to associate forms, objects, uh, just by, by vision or, or, or touch, and they just don't make sense. So think, think of in fine art, for example, there might be a Salvador Dali painting or something like that, that, that uh, you know, sort of defies logic. Um, but in, in our sense, it's using uh, geometry, some math, some art, uh, lighting techniques, uh, et cetera, that help form these uh, optical illusions that are uh, being transcribed on your on your on your brain, and it, and it really is, in many instances, a, a wow type of experience. I don't believe what I'm seeing, but yet there it is. Um, and in some instances, it's uh, it actually involves uh, some kind of a physical stimulation as well, where you might be standing still uh, and you're not moving at all, yet you might feel a little bit dizzy or the room is moving or, or, or something like that. It's, um, it's really 
it's really quite amazing. You have to, you have to experience it firsthand. Um, and what we do is we, we pack our museum with, you know, at least 70 to a hundred, uh, types of, uh, different, uh, visual and, uh, exhibits to, to be able to stimulate your brain to the point where when you're walking out, you might have a favorite one or, or you might be talking about something. Um, but even then it's, uh, it's, it's very experiential because you're feeling it, you're seeing it. But on the other hand, you are, you actually go in and you're able to uh, take pictures of it, take videos of it, uh, to memorialize it or to share it with, uh, with, with friends and family. Uh, we have a lot of people that, that do that through their social media, uh, et, et cetera, which is, which is a lot of fun. Um, you, you're showing pictures to your connections that just defy reality. Um, and that, that's just for, I, I think the, the general audience, uh, one of the things that we also do is we encourage, um, uh, school children to come in, uh, during the school year, field trips, et cetera. And, and, and I don't know what your experience was when you were growing up and you would go on a field trip with your school, everybody packs into the school bus and with their lunches and everything like that here. This is an experience where the, the kids are actually encouraged to take pictures, to bring their phone, to, you know, do things that where, the, where they might, you know, share or, or manipulate some of the pictures that they take, et cetera. Um, many of our locations where available are able to uh, actually uh, uh, satisfy STEAM and STEM requirements for the local school boards, and we are able to provide uh, planning books for the teachers to be able to help the children understand and associate certain things that they're looking at with some of the lessons that they're learning, whether it's, you know, geometry or, or art or, or math or, or, or engineering or other science. Uh, and it makes it a lot more fun for, for the children, the, the parents love it, the teachers love it. It's, uh, it's really an amazing experience for people of all ages, but that's, that's one of the ones that we're most proud of. Well, you definitely make me want to go experience one. I'm sorry to say I have not been to uh, a Museum of Illusions yet, but you also uh, got me thinking back to my field trips. And one of the things I remember was not the destination, but was the the can of soda wrapped in tinfoil. I don't know if that, mm -hmm. for some people that remember that from, from that age. But anyway, um, JV, what, what I'm hearing you talk about in terms of this this um, experience is very, as you said, experiential. It's very immersive, um, very visceral, you know, in terms of the the feelings that you get. And I, I, I appreciate that a hundred percent, but I also look at, at, at a lot of things that people talk about right now, which is AI and virtual reality and, and things that are going that way. Um, and I appreciate that yours is more uh, physical and, and again, emotional, and it doesn't take, you know, super technology. Some of this is for lack of a better term, old school. So I'm curious where you think that that type of attraction is going in terms of immersion where you're not counting on AI, at least it doesn't sound like, sound like it from your description, AI and virtual reality and things like that, that other people are calling the kind of the hot buttons and the new, the new technology and the new things that, that, quote unquote, everybody seems to be going for. 
Yeah, and Matt, that, that's a good point. I, I look at the uh, success of some of those other uh, opportunities or some of the other uh, experiences as as more of a, a parallel track with us. Uh, there's, there's certain differentiators, uh, as you alluded to, and I'll, also I mentioned earlier as well, to the extent where it's more or less high-definition video in, in many instances that is projected onto walls, floors, there are some music sequences and, and some other flashing photography, et cetera, which is quite a bit different. Um, that is almost exclusively technology-based uh, and I think is, is also very enjoyable, but at the same time, I think it's a little bit more transitory. So, for example, a lot of the popular ones you'll see out there, uh, there's an interesting term called pop-ups where they might be there for six months, a year, maybe two years at the most, um, and they'll go through their, their cycle and then move it on to another location, uh, whereas we're more permanent. What we try to do is we integrate within the community. It's a, in, in many instances, it's, it's uh, exhibits that we might rotate from location to location from time to time or rotate some new exhibits that are, that are being developed by our research and development department and maybe retire or temporarily shelve some some other exhibits but these are things that are that are permanent they're not they're not manipulated by ai or or photography or high definition or anything like that these are things that you can actually feel and touch and see and be able to to experience not just visually or, or by audio, but for from from other senses, where it helps you, uh, you know, I, I think in in many ways identify more with it. Um, one of the things Matt you mentioned as, as well, old school, uh, old school in the sense that that many of these uh, exhibits that we have uh, were actually invented hundreds of years ago. So it, it's not like it's not like it's something that maybe your grandparents enjoyed, but maybe even your ancestors, um, your ancestors uh, enjoyed. And we found a, a really good vehicle to be able to uh, to display these things in an environment that is really conducive to to the the rest of the experience. Hmm. And I think that type of experience allows people, particularly, I would say, children or, or Gen Z who are growing up with, you know, so much technology and AI uh, just at their fingertips, uh, gives them the appreciation of what can be done or what was developed hundreds of years ago that at, that was cutting edge technology back then, right, of, of being able to, to create, you know, this type of uh, these types of illusions and these types of uh, of, of different types of experiences. Uh, I do kind of want to tie this with something you mentioned a few minutes ago about, you know, the kids on the field trips, they're, uh, they're encouraged to bring their phones with them so they can take the pictures, they can either share it on social media or with their connections of, of uh, these images that look like they defy reality. I want to tie that in with kind of the, the generational relevance of it. You were recently quoted in Forbes talking about the importance of focusing on, on Gen Z as a long-term growth strategy. Would love to know, I would say, how, how Gen Z fits into just your overall strategy. Yeah, and, and, and I think, uh, you know, Gen Z is just, is just part of it, but certainly one of the most important parts. You know, they, they grew up as digital natives. That's, they have a, a, a means of communication and, and, and different environments that, 
they grew up in that older generations are actually kind of learning, you know, or, may, or maybe even uh, a little bit of a fishbowl, you know, looking into to see what what the heck is going on in there. Um, and for us, it's multi generational. Uh, with 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 Gen Z in, in particular, I I think I have a bit of an advantage because I've got three Gen Z children, and sometimes it's just a means of being able to uh, communicate. And as someone who is older than a Gen Z, uh, for example, I, I find that the the easiest and most comfortable uh, way to communicate with them is on their terms. You know, so people complain about it, but you know, I might I might be sitting at the table with them at a restaurant and they're on their phones. And if I send them a text, all of a sudden they're engaging with me. And it's only because they're tuned out if I'm speaking to them verbally. But we have this back and forth where we can interact with each other. They'll get a clue. Okay, you know, well, it's time to engage and 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 all of these things. But it's it's one where at, at Museum of Illusions, we have the ability to uh, have not just Gen Z, but other generations interact really in the same environment without clashing. Uh, it's something that appeals to, I think, virtually every generation that I can think of uh, who has uh, an appreciation of what it is that we offer without necessarily having to cross into something strange or unfamiliar uh, that deals with technology or that has a complete lack of technology if you're looking from the, the other side. Well, I think part of that appeal to multiple generations probably comes from the fact that, like you said, a lot of these things have been around for a while, these illusions, and they impact people probably at some level in very similar ways, right? You know, whether you're young or you're old, your eyes are still seeing it. It's not registering with your brain quite right. Maybe it does make you feel queasy or dizzy. Um, and obviously from person to person, that could be a little different, but, you know, we we all kind of see some of those things um, in slightly similar ways, I would imagine, you know, no matter what what our age is. Um, but one thing you just, you just touched on that I think a lot of people um, maybe not so much recently, but I know I've heard a lot of people talk about, you know, complaining about the new generation, whatever you want to call them. Right. Um, but you said in, in so many words, you can either complain about them or you can teach them. That's what kind of how I interpreted what you said. Um, so how does that even, um, transfer over into the workplace because you've got those same folks working with you, um, that maybe, you know, they're, they're, um, native communication, maybe on their phone or what they, what they gravitate towards. So now you've got the, in a young person who you want to interact with your, with your guests. So how do you then, you know, create the environment where it's, it's more acceptable and, and obviously more of what you want for them to interact with your guests than to be on the phone or to, or to not engage. That's a good question, Matt. And that's a, that's a really probably more more complicated than the answer I'm, I'm going to give you, but I, I think a part of it goes back to what I was saying earlier about reading the room, you know, being being able to engage uh, more forcefully if, if if welcomed and and maybe maybe uh, not so not so forcefully if if you can read the room and say okay these people just kind of want to be left alone, but I, I think if you're looking at older generations for example. Um, and I know this just from my own family, 
they they struggle a little bit with some of some of the technology that, that's out there, and so they're all they're always looking for help. How do I do this? How do I turn this? I mean, how do I, how do I um, um, edit this uh, photograph that I just took? And and it, sometimes it's a matter of just asking them if I if they can be shown on their smartphone, and they're learning new tools. Uh, on how to use the the technology that they already have that they might only be using on a limited basis. And so they're very appreciative of it. In other instances, if you're dealing with people who are intimately familiar with that type of technology, it's a matter of just speaking with them and just saying, hey, you know what, if you open this and turn it that way, like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll try that. And, and, and it's just, a, you know, being, being able to adapt, uh, I think they're, I don't care what kind of business you're, there, there's no one size fits all uh, approach, but it's being able to be on the same plane with the, uh, the the person or group that you're trying to engage with that I think makes it most satisfying for, for the guest. As far as the employees are concerned, let's go back to the first part of your question. Um, I think that uh we we learn as much from our employees as as uh, as I think uh, they learn from us. So they they can learn uh, the concept, but we are far from a point where we would ever say we know everything. And you know, it's I think there's lessons to be learned every day. And I think that some of the best ways we learn about the community and the, the customers is just by listening to the input from our employees and we welcome their contribution and we have you know sort of a an open ai environment where those type of uh inputs are are not only welcome but they're also encouraged i'm curious then with uh with the amount of locations that you have and with your continued growth strategy everything that that you just shared there of being able to manage that and and keeping that consistent and continuing to value that employee input as the number of employees continues to grow at scale and the number of locations and the number of regions continue to grow of being able to continue to I'd say hone hone in on that and uh, and being able to to learn from your employees employees and and valuing their or being able to even just gather their input to be able to get that information to be able to learn from them. <laughs> well, it, it's hard. I mean, first of all, we have to deal with uh, corporate locations as well as franchise locations. So for us, it's getting input from business owners and we are also a business owner so we're also seeing it firsthand from the museums that we that we own and manage and what we do is we have input from the owners uh, of those franchises typically and and are able to compare notes uh, we have a very collaborative uh, franchise environment where we learn uh, also from our franchisees things that work things that that may not work so well and, and we also, uh, are able to apply our knowledge and expertise to help them succeed. Um, but I think the, the the biggest challenge is really being able to, uh, you know, I, I think adapt these in, in different languages and different currencies, et cetera. So it's, it's more of, it's more of a technical operational aspect that is the challenge. If you're looking at what the museum itself offers, you know, 
what you see is translatable in any language. You're either going to be wowed or you're not, and you don't need to be able to speak Chinese, Spanish, or, or English to be able to have the, the exact same effect. It's, it's sort of a universal expression to people of not just all, all ages, as I was mentioning before, but really all cultures. And sometimes it's trying to adapt to the local culture uh, a type of exhibit that we might have that might be a little bit more expressive with a different color scheme, for example, or a different type of background that makes it a little bit more uh, I, I welcome in the community or something that's a little bit more recognizable. So as we go around the world and even different regions of, uh, of a single country like the United States, we try to adapt the environment to some of the local landmarks or some of the local hometown heroes or, or things that would appeal to, to the, the, the people locally. You know, what, one of the things that I think surprises most people who are getting to know us is they, they really think we're you know, tourist-driven uh, and certainly we welcome tourists and there's certain locations we have that the obvious ones like Orlando, uh, for example, that, that where the entire city is practically uh, tourist driven. Um, but the majority of our, uh, of our customers actually come from the, the local communities. And I think it's, it's part of our uh, DNA to try to assimilate within the community. And, and part of it is to be able to help design the museums that are reflective of um, some of the, the, the cultures and uh, important elements uh, that the community uh, represents. JB, I'm curious, and, and forgive me if I keep coming back to the employees, but you keep t saying things that spark these thoughts in my mind, and I'm just curious about some, some things from your perspective. You talk about having facilities all over the world and adapting to the local culture. Again, I would imagine that also translates to the team members um, that you're employing there as well. So what challenges have you found or maybe opportunities in those different cultures when you're trying to adapt to not only the culture of the your demographic of guests, but also your team members? So surprisingly, very little. Uh, you know, I, I, I think in, in many instances, I don't want to say the product speaks for itself, because in many ways it does. But at the same time, you can't take that for granted. You've got to be able to you know, market it and communicate in whatever the local language might be through whatever the local customs might be, et cetera. So what we've, we've done is we've, you know, employed whatever local expertise might be helpful or, or necessary, whether it's consulting, whether it's local PR firms, uh, the, the franchisees themselves that typically come from those communities that are able to speak to you know, what may or, or what may not appeal to, to those. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's, you know, I, I don't think there's probably as much of a challenge as someone might, might think it's, uh, it's quite adaptable. Debbie, can you share a little bit more about Museum of Illusions uh, growth strategy? Because, uh, you know, we talk about, you know, we say at this time you're in, you know, 40 plus locations, 25 countries. Uh, can you talk a little bit about, I would say, how how the company has continued to accelerate growth? You talk about the franchise model, uh, but also just being able to, to tap into new regions, new cities, new communities and be able to, to develop the museums in, in new locations. 
Well, I, I can. In, in, in many ways, it was a, a bit of a, a renaissance uh, for us in the sense that we opened a single location with our founders in, in Zagreb, Croatia. Zagreb's like, like the capital city there. That's where we, that's where it all began. Um, and, you know, by virtue of uh, a number of the, the visitors that came in, uh, as well as the, the lines that were forming around the block just to experience this, uh, the founders were approached by people from around the world saying, you know, we'd really like one of these in New York, or we'd really like to do one of these in Paris. You know, what are your expansion plans? And it, it was, it was I, I think, in some ways, uh, a happy surprise to the, to the founders uh, to discover that this was something that potentially could have some worldwide appeal. Um, and so what that sparked was... Uh, a uh, strategy of franchising. And from, from there, they grew to a number of locations on multiple continents and multiple countries and got to a point where they had reached some, some type of critical mass where there was going to either be you know, a, a stoppage in, in development or it was going to maybe get a little bit unwieldy or, or out of control. I and mean, with franchisees, you've got to provide help, support, expertise, et cetera. And that began their uh, solicitation of potential partners who could come in and bring that expertise. Um, happy to say that uh, approximately 18 months ago, there's a, a, a local uh, company, a private equity uh, company in, in Vera uh, Equity Partners, that bought a majority stake in the business to really help foster that next wave of, of growth uh, and, and apply a little bit more of a, a professional element to it in the sense that we were not gonna be reactive, we were actually gonna be proactive. So we would, we would put some sort of science behind the, the growth pattern where we would explore demographics, uh, preferences, um, trends, uh, obviously populations and, and buying power in certain areas to be able to duplicate that strategically around the world. And one of the first things we did was uh, actually target you know, the, the, the top markets around the globe based on a lot of those factors, some of which are kind of secret sauce that I can't uh, divulge. Um, but it gave us the impetus to be able to uh, actually select certain markets around the world for, for growth. And one of the things that we're experiencing now is a tremendous amount of that growth based on the, the, the research that, that we did you know, 18, 18 to 24 months ago. Um, parallel to that, we also had uh, a number of very successful franchisees who also wanted to continue to grow. And in many instances are, are now opening their third, fourth, fifth, sixth location uh, because of that. And with, with them, we find a, a tremendous amount of synergy in the sense that they, they really dominate the, the markets that they're in. And, and uh, we're very appreciative of what they've been able to do for the brand. And, and we also continue to carry the torch and focus a little bit more on, on the, the corporate expansion, which was not really a strategy that, that was done until 
uh, it was taken over by uh, Invera. So JB, one of the things I'm curious about as you're as you're expanding and you are, um, you know, working with all these different facilities and kind of leading the charge and the expansion, um, somebody could look from the outside and say, wow, that's something that I'd like to do. I'd like to have that kind of influence or, you know, um, uh, under, you know, try to understand what it takes to, to be in that that type of position. So I'm curious what sort of advice or guidance do you have for people that are kind of coming up through the industry that may want to, you know, be as involved in a, in an operator plus a franchise business, or just be an executive in the hospitality uh, industry? Well, I think it's a lot of, a lot of patience, a lot of hard work. And, and uh, I think it's thinking differently. I, I, I don't think this is a, a good field for someone who just wants to toe the corporate line, so to speak. You've got to be able to think, I hate to use the, the cliche, but out of the box, uh, you've got to be able to take some risks. Um, but also, I think more importantly, uh, try to associate yourself with, with those type of people. I mean, I, I found that throughout my career, I've always been able to find uh, individuals who were willing to share, uh, share advice, uh, share tactics, uh, et cetera. You know, some formally, some informally, but there's there's mentorships out there. Uh, I I've actually taken upon myself to, I don't want to say give back, but also take, you know, some of those learnings and be able to share it with a lot of the colleagues that I currently work with and have worked with in the past. One of the most gratifying things I can tell you personally is being able to go to some of these industry events. Uh, for example, and it's almost like a, a gathering of of people who you've grown up with in the industry in, in, in the past who have risen to very high ranks within the organizations that, that they're with. Um, and it's having that kind of support and, uh, and and those type of colleagues that that I think are also now doing the same thing with 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 people. Uh, sometimes it's it's identifying just someone who you think is a star in your company that you know needs some mentorship and, and growth and and even exposing them to things that might not be within the scope of their exact position, but it's something that you know will help them develop more uh, as as a professional uh, with that type of experience to allow themselves to you know become future leaders within this or, or other related type of industries. It's really, it's really remarkable uh, how much I benefit from that. And, and I think that I uh, conversely like to, to share that as well. And thank you for sharing. That's all uh, phenomenal advice, and and we really appreciate it. Uh, we're starting to run a little low on time, but uh, we would love to know, uh, do you have a favorite illusion that you like to share with others? Well, I, I do, uh, but it's I, I don't want to limit it to to just one. But but if I if I had to pick one, it's goodness. Uh, you ask me tomorrow, it might be a different one. I, I'd say our building illusion. So it, it's one where uh, you know you, you could probably go online and, and and look and see what some of those look like. But it's uh, it's a gigantic mirror that is uh, applied to a, a diagonal. A wall where the elements of the illusion are actually on the ground 
And what you're doing is you're taking the photograph of how you look in the mirror and you might look like you're scaling a building, uh, for example, or, or hanging off the purpose uh, of, of a balcony or, or something. And, and you're really just lying on the floor, but the, the, the illusion, the visual of that is, is really quite remarkable and raises a lot of eyebrows, makes my mother scared to see me hanging off of a ledge of a 10 <laughs> story building, for example. Um, so it's, ask me tomorrow and I'll give you a, a, a different answer. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to call you tomorrow and just to, just to see what you say there. <laughs> um, but JB, this has been really interesting. And again, really inspires me to want to go visit one of these museums of illusions. Um, but as Josh said, we're running a little low on time. So if people wanted to learn more about museum of illusions, or they wanted to uh, contact you directly, where would you send them? Probably send them to LinkedIn. Uh, my, my profile is easily uh, available. They can they can reach out to me at jb at museumofillusions.com. I think they're probably going to get the, the most information just going to our website, which is museumofillusions.com. Um, and uh, hopefully visiting one of our locations. You, you'll see all of our uh, existing and, and opening soon locations on, on the website. Uh, we've opened several this year. We're about to open two more this month, actually, one in Las Vegas and one in Houston, and then followed uh, on its close heels by Denver in September. Um, I think also Bordeaux, France in, in September, uh, along with San Diego and, and Copenhagen. Uh, between now and the end of the year. We just recently opened Atlanta, which isn't far from where you live. And I'd certainly love to show you a good time if you want to drive down from the mountains. Absolutely. Um, uh, we opened recently in, in Minneapolis, Austin, uh, Montreal, Marseille, just to name a few, just this year alone. So we're, we're on a high growth tra trajectory as, as, as you know, and, and, uh, we aim to have uh, 100 open locations by the end of 2026. We're well ahead of that pace right now. Wow. So if you don't have a location near you, just because <laughs> <laughs> sounds like one is coming close, close well, by, or at least to the nearest major. Yes, market. yes, Excellent. exactly. Uh, JB, thank you so much for uh, for your time today. We really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you and learn about uh, your career and your background and your guest experience and employee experience philosophies and just everything about Museum of Illusions. So thank you. Uh, and for everyone out there who is watching and listening, just remember, we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.